And something good is going to happen Something good is in store We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again In one accord And something good is going to happen Something good is in store We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again Just praising the Lord We're together again put it, or we'll keep it in F, and let's sing that song, He's Never Failed Me. He's never failed me yet, He's never failed me yet, oh Jesus Christ has never failed me yet, and everywhere I go, I want the world to know that Jesus Christ never failed me yet. Things 
keep the tempo up just a little bit here and let's sing that song um, Jesus on the main line now it's Jesus on the main line just tell him what you want Jesus on the main line tell him what you want Jesus on the main line tell him what you want Jesus on the you want the line ain't never busy tell him what you want well the line ain't never busy so tell him what you want call him up and tell him what you want oh it's jesus on the main line tell him what you want jesus on the main line tell him what you want Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line now. So just call him up, call him up, and tell him what you want. Call him up, call him up, and tell him what you want. Just call him up, call him up, tell him what you want. It's Jesus on the main line now. Just tell him what you want And if you're feeling down and out Tell him what you want And if you're feeling down and out Just tell him what you want Jesus on the main line now And if you're sick and want to get well Just tell him what you want If you're sick and want to get well Just tell him what you Now if you're sick and want to get well Just tell him what you want Jesus on the main line now Come on now Oh just call him up and call him up And tell him what you want Call him up, call him up And tell him what you want Just call him up, call him up And tell him what you want on the main line now Oh, it's Jesus on the main line Tell him what you want Jesus on the main line Tell him what you want It's Jesus on the main line Just tell him what you want Jesus on the main line now One more time Oh, it's on the main line just tell him what you want it's jesus on the main line tell him what you want it's jesus on the main line tell him what you want it's jesus on the main line now amen let's put it in f and we'll go ahead and change the order of the service here. Now let's sing that song, Let Go and Let God. So let go and let God have His wonderful way. Let 
as we go before the Lord. You may have your seats for just a moment. And after I'm done reading these, if I could have uh, Brother Jaron come up and pray for these needs. We just want to uh, remember Brother Ron Knobloch's mom who fell and fractured her hip. She did have surgery and is now recovering. So if we could just remember her in prayer. I also have here that the Swaffords um, had the virus sweep through their family. Um, so we just want to remember them. And uh, the granddaughter, Elena, who is four months old, is positive. So if we could just remember that need. I also have here that uh, Brother David Whitlock will be having his gallbladder surgery tomorrow. So we just want to remember him, that the Lord will be with him and the surgeons, that uh, he would just guide their hand. Uh, also, I have here that Brother Brian is uh, having to work and was headed down to Louisiana. Uh, there's some storms starting to come through that area, as we all know, so if we could just remember him. And also, if we could just please continue to remember uh, Sister Christy. Uh, she uh, just needs a touch from the Lord, so if we could just remember her in prayer. That is all the needs that I have written down here, but I know we all have needs that are unspoken, so just by the lifting of your hand, just... Uh, Make that known to the Lord. He knows that need. If you would just stand with me and Brother Jaron, if you would come. Feel your spirit and your presence in this place, God. Lord, we take this time to just give our our souls rest, Father, to just pour ourselves out upon this altar before you, God. Lord, as we approach your your gracious throne of mercy, Lord, we lift up our special needs before you, Lord, our friends and our families and our church families, Lord. God, we pray for these needs, Lord. We remember in this time, Brother Ron's mother, Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to her, God. In this hour of need, with the injury she sustained, Lord, we pray that you would just reach down and with your tender hand of mercy and touch her, God. Lord, I pray for the Swafford family, Lord, and with this terrible virus that's sweeping through the land, Lord, I pray for our dear brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would just touch their family, Lord, and deliver them from the hands of this enemy, Lord. We curse this affliction and bind it in the name of Jesus and cast it down. Lord, I pray, Lord, for... Any others that are troubled, Lord, in their spirit, in their mind, Lord, whatever the, the cause may be, Lord, we just ask that you would be merciful to each one, Lord. Lord, we know that you're mindful of our needs, God. Lord, each hand that was raised with a personal need on their heart, Lord, you see that, that trouble, that affliction, that desire, that need, whatever it may be, God, I trust that you are on the scene even now. You're an ever-present help in the time of trouble, God. Lord, we know that we can trust on you and rely on you when all else fails, Lord. You are the unchanging God, Lord, and I pray that you would just meet each and every need today, Lord. God, would you move upon the scene, Lord, and touch the minister, Lord. I pray that you would speak through him, Lord, to minister to the heart of every individual here, Lord. 
Lord, we know there's something in the Word for all of us, God. Lord, help us, Lord, to receive it, Lord. Lord, let us lay aside distractions that bother us and trouble us. Lord, those things will always be in this world, Lord. Father, but we know that we can turn our heart to You, God. Lord, and I pray that You would just move in a mighty way, Lord. Speak through the minister, Lord, even to my heart, Lord. I pray that You would bless the the song leader and the musicians. Lord, help us all to just be of one mind and one spirit, Lord. And we pray that our praise and worship is acceptable in Your sight. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing this uh, as you're seated. The blood of Jesus shed for me on
has a special for us this morning, so I'll go ahead and hand it over to him. Amen. It sure is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm a living testimony as to how the blood will never lose its power. I just want to real quickly share with you this morning, over the course of about six months, um, the doctors have been running some tests on me. I've been having some... Um, strange symptoms and uh, got some abnormal blood blood work back and um, after about three tests uh, they called me in to tell me that uh, they thought that I was showing uh, symptoms of having uh, leukemia well I didn't I didn't say anything about it I didn't talk much about it because I certainly don't want to give the enemy any ammunition so we started doing some more tests and uh, they uh, I went to see the oncologist uh, a couple weeks ago, and I can tell you that's a that's a lonely place to go into that office. And um, so he wanted to do some more tests to dig a little deeper. And uh, I just I turned talked to Brother Barry about it, and uh, I I didn't want to make any kind of public uh, scene with it or anything. I just wanted to keep it and just let the Lord work. And I just trusted that. I knew that if, if God was finished with me, I, you know, it, it wasn't uh, anything that I could do. Or I just prayed. Well, last week I got those blood tests back and there are no abnormalities. Six months of abnormalities. And then after prayer... No abnormalities. The blood will never lose its power. Never. And I encourage you, friends, that whatever you're going through, whatever it is, turn it over to God. He's got it. He's got it. And I, I looked at it like this. The worst thing that could ever happen to me was if, if I passed away, but I'm a winner either way. Because what's on the other side? You know, it's... This song, I've been singing this song this week, and we sing this chorus all the time, but there's verses to this song, and this is really the way I feel. Because I keep falling in love with Him over and over again. So you all can help me sing that. When I first fell in love with Jesus gave him all my heart and I thought that I couldn't love him more than I did right from the start but as I look back over the mountains and valleys 
where I've been. Lord, it helps me know that I love Him so much more than I did then. And I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Cause He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Now there's a hand I can hold on to through each valley and each trial. And there's a shoulder I can lean upon when I face another mile. And there's a love I can depend on. It's fresh and new each day. And with love my heart is overflowing. That is why I say, Falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I'd like to sing that second verse. There's a hand I can hold on to Through each valley and each trial And there's a shoulder I can lean upon When I face another mile And there's a love I can depend on It's fresh and new each day And it's all my heart Overflowing, that is why I say, Oh, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Between my Lord and I, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Oh, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweet. Days go by. Oh, what a 
gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Amen. Thank you for that. Let's uh, put it, or we'll keep it there in G. Actually, I'm sorry, let's put it in F. And let's sing that song, uh, As You Stand Because He Lives. And while we're singing it, I'll have the ushers go ahead and come forward so we can take up tithe and offering. Because He lives, I can face Shout to the Lord as Brother Matt comes this morning. My Jesus and my Savior, Lord, there is none like you in all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your mighty.
Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to shelter, my shelter, my tower of refuge. Oh, could we raise our hands and sing it now? Every breath, Lord, all that I am, let it never cease to worship. bow down and the seas will roar just at the sound of your name. I sing for joy, yes Lord, of your hand. Forever I'll Clap of praise. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen. Lord, there's nothing that compares to the promise that we have. We raise our hands, Lord, in this building today, Lord, in unison as a sign of surrender just now, Lord Jesus. We surrender to your headship, Lord, to your authority for what you want to do this morning in our lives, Lord. We just give it all to you now. Jesus, may you, Lord, come by your word, Father. You've already came and anointed the music, Lord, the singing. We've sang, Lord. We've had expectation. Many prayers have been prayed, Lord. Now we come to this moment where we just ask with hands raised, Lord, would you take complete control, Lord, of everything that's done and said in this place, we ask. May you bless our hearts now as we worship you in Jesus' name. And the church said... And the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Ask my daughter, Amariah, to come up. We just have a special, Amen. We want to sing for you this morning. You love the Lord? Amen. Amen. Don't you just love to worship Him? Amen. He's worthy of all the music and all the praise and all the lyrics. But more than that, it's something that comes from our heart. Amen.
It's alright. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. Before the world began Above all kingdoms Above all thrones Above all wonders The world has ever known Above all wealth and treasure of the earth There is no way to measure what you're worth Oh crucified laid behind a stone you
you stand to your feet and sing it with us one more time? Oh, you were crucified and laid behind the stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone, and like a rose, trampled on the Thought of me above all, oh, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall. Thank you, Lord. You thought of me above all. Lord, a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Are you thankful for that? Amen. Above everything, he thought of you. Above all. Amen. I just want to say thank you, Lord, for that. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Joel with me. That'll be all the music. Thank you. Amen. Joel. Amen. Chapter 1. Glad to uh, be here with you. Amen, to see friends, amen, here this morning, and I just send you greetings from Brother Barry, who I spoke to this morning, and just wanted me to greet you for him, but we just want to look to the Word this morning, believe that you have an expectation, something upon your heart, it may be something you've prayed over specifically for you, for someone else, and you just want to raise a hand and say, Lord, would you remember my need this morning, amen, would your Word come and meet, amen, my expectation, I'd like to minister to you this morning on something the Lord just laid upon my heart very heavy and uh, just began to do something very supernaturally uh, in my life, in my family's life, and we've just seen the hand of the Lord uh, in, a, in a current work, something the Lord is doing and a work in progress, but the Lord just laid this thought upon my heart uh, some number of weeks ago, and I've spoken on it a few times, and the Lord just directed me as I begin to pray and as you do, and, and just ask the Lord for what direction He'd want me to go. And God just brought me back to the book of Joel. So we just want to be obedient to the word of the Lord, to what the Spirit of the Lord wants. And I just want to be a yielded vessel. How many would desire that and say, Lord, let me just be a vessel, Lord, a yielded vessel that I could receive what you have, amen, for me. Joel chapter 1, let's just begin reading it. The first verse, we'll read through a lot of this. Uh, be a lengthy reading, but then you'll be able to, uh, we'll have you take your seats. Joel chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, you old men, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the cankerworm eaten. And that which the cankerworm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and howl, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. 
For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. Verse 9, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languish with. Be you ashamed, O you husbandmen, how, O you vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourself and lament, you priests. Howl, you ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify you a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. How do, verse 17, let's just read, the seed is rotten under their clods, the garners are laid desolate, the barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How does the beast groan? How do the beast groan? The herds of the cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry. For the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of water are dried up. And the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. What a sad, bleak, gloomy condition that Israel found themselves in. Let's just read chapter 2, and I'll have you be seated. We're just going to begin reading here, turn it straight over in verse 20. Let's skip that. We'll just move on down to verse 25. And I will restore to you the years. I'm speaking to you this morning on restoring years. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. The canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. My great army which I sent among you. Notice the Lord doesn't say this was an army that the enemy sent. But God actually says the army of locust and plague that destroyed everything, I sent it. The army which I sent among you, verse 26, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Are you glad for that this morning? How many rejoice? Say, Lord, I'm glad I've got a message of restoration from all that's been lost. Here's a promise and a prophecy. And he says, and it shall come to pass. Let's, let's not skip it. Let's go to verse 27. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, 
and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. Lord, we just bow our heads in reverence now, asking you, Lord Jesus, would you come, Lord, and do what you do best. Father, take these words that you've put upon my heart, Lord, these words, Lord, that I could speak today, if they just come from me, Lord, they would just, it would just be a waste of time. Lord, but we look to you this morning. Lord, for in you is the resource of everything that we have need of in this life. Lord, what we need this morning as sons and daughters of, of you, Lord, is not the broken cisterns of Hollywood or the broken cisterns of entertainment or pleasure. Lord, but what our hearts are thirsty for is for a fresh cup of the living water to pour over our souls this morning. Lord, I pray that you would grant it to us, Lord. Grant each request, each heart, Father. May you move by your Spirit, we ask, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I don't want to take too much time here this morning covering teaching on and, and going through this historically, but I do believe it's important for us to understand what we're reading when we read it and to understand the message of what we're reading and how it is applicable to our lives here in, in the end times. Joel comes as a prophet, a pre-exile prophet, meaning that this was before they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. God would send them many men who would come and warn them. And he, they, would, they would have a message and he would begin to speak to them. And Joel, the prophet Joel comes to this southern tribe of Judah as Israel has been split in two. And Joel has a message upon his heart. And the Lord uh, uh, instructs Joel to uh, not just identify all of the condition of the people and of the land, but also share his burden in his heart. He comes at the time of King Uzziah. And you understand that the, the time of Uzziah was a time of great plenty. Uh, we know that he was the last king that comes to Israel before Isaiah says, I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And Isaiah is speaking to say that now men's kingdoms have failed. And now the king of kings is going to take over. And so Isaiah, uh, or, or Uzziah is a, a, a king who rules and it's a great time of Great progress. You could say that Joel and Israel at this time had lived in a time of, of prosperity. It was great plenty and the Bible would call it fatness. And anytime you think of fatness in the Bible, it's not what you think of great fatness, but it speaks of a time of great plenty. A fat time when you've got more than you need. <laughs> And so he says this was a time where Israel's progressing uh, under Uzziah. You could call it a golden year, the golden years. 
It was a time of progress both in military, uh, financially, economically, administratively, commercially. In every way that you could think of, Israel is flourishing. Now, you have to be careful how you give this context because we read Joel 1 and he says the vines are dried up and the vats are overturned and the land is wasting and the cattle has nothing to eat and, and they, they have no pasture. But this is after the plague that God sends of locusts that destroy and wipe out everything, all of their plenty. But to contrast that, it was a time where it was, is, it was a great time under this king. Even the Bible speaks of Uzziah and says his fame spread from all the way from the north of Egypt, from the border of Egypt, because he had became very powerful. And Israel had became very uh, had, had became very wealthy. We notice God would begin to now give this man a vision and a burden because you notice a prophet of God never comes with a message of their own. In fact, it's not their message at all. It's not their thought at all. But God would have a burden as he's seen the condition of his people. God would then begin to become burdened with his own heart and his own desire. And then God would take a man, a yielded servant, a prophet of the Lord, and he would literally baptize that man with his own God-given burden. And that oracle or that man would then become the mouthpiece or the oracle or the conduit, not for his own thought, not for his own opinions. You see, he's a eunuch. He has no seed. He has no thought. But he's a vessel that the Lord uses to translate or to interpret or to speak to his people. And that man then becomes an oracle or a mouthpiece of the mind of God. You see, when you read the message of the hour, it's not the opinion of Brother Branham or the thought of Brother Branham or the, that's why we don't look at it and go, well, that was just his opinion. What you're reading is the mind of Christ. You're reading the interpreted thought or the burden of God to Lady Osea and you're Lady, you're in Lady Osea. You might be translated into the kingdom of his dear son and your soul's entered in a rapture cycle. But let me just remind you, Brother Branham was the messenger, the seventh messenger to the seventh age, Lady Asia, and we have not went beyond our messenger. Therefore, we are not beyond the seventh age. We're still here in Lady Asia because the rapture happens in Lady Asia. Can you say amen? And so it was his burden or his thought or his message and God began to burden the heart of Joel. And Joel began to speak to God, to, to God's people. And he was giving the thought or the mind of God of how God seen them. And Joel's message is going to speak of their natural land and their cattle and their, 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 their crops. But ultimately, what was on the heart of God that he burdened the heart of Joel with was not so much their natural condition, but it was actually their spiritual condition. Because everything that you've seen in the natural with the crops having, uh, be, uh, having disease, the fields being barren, the oil and the olive oil being dried up, the pomegranate and the apple tree's fruit uh, had dried up and became rotten. And the Bible actually says the land had become rotten. All of that was only a type of their spiritual 
health. Are you here this morning? You see, to God, your spiritual condition is actually all that really matters. Now, I know we preach a lot on health, and God desires you be in health and prosper, and God is concerned about all of those things. He desires uh, to give you happiness and joy, and He didn't save you to make you miserable. But when it really comes down to it, what really is the most important thing to the Lord is your spiritual life and your spiritual health and your spiritual condition is all that really matters to the Lord. And if so much so that if God has to break and bankrupt your financials or your bank account to get to your spiritual condition, or if he has to break your health or give you earthly sorrow to get your attention spiritually, then God will do whatever he has to do because he's a kind, loving, heavenly father who wants the best spiritually for his children. I know that's been watered down and washed up and today's just a message of prosperity and God wants the best for you and wants your best life now. Let me, let me give you some news here. This is not your best life now. <laughs> this is your worst life. The best life is the next one. Can you say amen? God is so concerned as the prophet of God says, and he gives the type of the mother who would spank their child. And, he's, and he speaks about a real godly father, a real godly parent, a real godly mother who would love that child so much. And Brother Branham says, no real mother, uh, if she really loves that child, uh, enjoys spanking that child. No real father enjoys or gets some pleasure out of, listen to me, young people, your parents, no matter how much you think, don't enjoy disciplining you. You know that statement, it hurts me worse than it hurts you? <laughs> it's true. Most of the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brother Branham says that real mother doesn't enjoy spanking them. And he says, but if she really loves that child, if you really love them, the prophet of God said, even if it hurts your feelings, you will correct the error of that child. And you may see something in their life and you, you don't necessarily, that's not, maybe you as a young person would think, oh, what's the big deal? I just don't understand. Dad, what's that? Why is it so harmful? But most of the time, the parent is not looking at what it is right now, but what it could become down the road. And you can't see down the road because you haven't been down the road, but they've been down that road. And now they're on the other side telling you, I've got to stop it here so that it doesn't get to here. And very much the same way that we as natural parents discipline our children because we love them and we're concerned about the errors in their life because of what they could become. God is very much the same way. In fact, that's where we get that godly love as a parent comes from the Lord. As he says in Revelations 3, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That means to correct. That means to bring discipline. Why do we discipline our children? Is it because we got mad or you get upset over something they did and they just got on your nerves? You ought not to be that for that. But we do it because their ultimate outcome is more important than any pain we have to inflict now. 
I said their ultimate condition, what they're going to be in life, what they're going to be when they're adults and they're out of your nest and they're out of your control and out of your influence. We're, we're concerned in everything we're doing. Please don't, please make sure you catch this because it's important here this morning. Everything you're doing now to your children now, uh, everything that's happening now is because your heart or your burden is on what will be tomorrow when they're out of your control and out of your influence. So you're doing everything you can now to fill them and pack them with as much of the Spirit of God now so that when they're out of your control, something inside them will be deposited in their life. Because their ultimate condition of what they're going to be in life is more as a mother, as a father, it's more important to you of what they're becoming than what they are right now. And let me just give you a mind shift here and say, your heavenly father is more concerned with what you're becoming than what you are right now. Our Heavenly Father is more concerned, God cares more about where you're going than where you're at right now. Maybe you don't understand and say, Lord, I, I don't understand what, what you're doing in my life. And I, I don't, you know, oftentimes, you know, let me just say this to you. Oftentimes you may not understand what God's doing in your life, but most of the time he's preparing you for what's around the corner that you can't see. Most of the time what he's bringing in your life now is because he sees around the corner and you don't. And God says, I've got to bring you through something. You're not going to understand it. It's not going to make any sense. But I see ahead. I see what you don't see. So I've got to do something in your life now to prepare you for what happens tomorrow. I'm so glad I have that kind of a heavenly father. Sometimes we question things in our life that are happening now. Why certain pieces of your life are missing or they don't make sense or they seem disjointed or seems out of place or seems mixed up. But remember, God never looks at your current condition, but he looks at what you're going to be. So that means he never gets discouraged by your failures now. He never gets discouraged as we get discouraged by how insufficient we are. God never got concerned or discouraged over Abraham's mistakes and failures because he already seen what Abraham was going to be. Let me tell you, he never got concerned over my mistakes or my failures that I make today because he knows what he's bringing me to. And I say, if God doesn't get discouraged, then why should you get discouraged? Why should we get discouraged? Why don't we just throw our hands up and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I am right now. I know you're bringing me to something. And so, Lord, I just surrender to that and say, Lord, bring me to what you are wanting me to come to in my life. Joel mentions this. It's amazing. He mentions their prosperity uh, in contrast. and And he says there, this is the condition. Your vines were flourishing. Your vats were overflowing. The fig tree, the pomegranate, it was all... Uh, And apple trees, the fruit trees were loaded down. The land was fertile. The barns were filled to the brim. The olive oil was flowing like a river. The cattle uh, never failed. Their herds were multiplying. Their flocks were plentiful. They had all of the exterior 
veneer or the exterior facade. Everything seemed like it was perfectly in place. We have all things. We're blessed beyond measure. We're loaded down with fruit. Oh, it's just a time of increase. Everything on the outside looked perfect. Manicured. That facade was perfect. But let me just say this. God sees through every facade that we put up. Parents may miss it. Pastors may miss it. But God sees right through your veneer. And he looks like with a laser down onto the center of your core, of your heart, of who you really are. God looked at their spiritual condition. Though the outside looked great, all the religious duty was in place, all of the dress code, everything looked primmed and proper and, and trimmed and perfect and manicured and they had all the parts and, and made everything, everything look good and looked like it was beautiful on the outside. But God said, down on the inside, you're spiritually bankrupt. Because what, if we'd be honest here today, what does prosperity, and I'm not talking about money Because there's many other ways to be prosperous than just dollars in your bank account. But what does material prosperity oftentimes bring to the believer? If we'd all just take a minute, if you could reach there behind your back and undo those angel wings, all of you right now, take that halo, sit it off to the side just for a minute. If we'd be humble and we'd be honest, what does good times, it's amazing how we define good times, What does good times, when the going is good, oftentimes, if we'd be honest, the best natural conditions and times of peace and prosperity and plenty and fatness most of the time leads to spiritual poverty. And for some, eventual spiritual death. Moses had already warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, let's turn there quickly. You can put it on the screen if you would like. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10. Listen to the warning that Moses gives them in verse 10. And, and he's, and he's, this is right prior to them going into Canaan. And God's prophet begins to warn them. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, waiting for you to get there. I want you to read it together with me. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10. He says, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, noticed, which thou buildest not. And houses, houses, homes, life, family, And houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not. And wells digged, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware 
lest thou forget the Lord? Lest thou... Brother Brandon preaches a message remembering the Lord. How could you get to such a place where God has blessed you so much beyond measure and He's given you so much? Oh, as I read this, this, uh, this morning and I read through Deuteronomy 6 again, and he says here in verse 11, houses full of all good things. Let me say this to you. If you're a believer here today, God has put good things in your home. You may not have much money. You may not have good uh, things and earthly possessions. But don't ever let it take it for granted that God has given you good things. He's given you peace in a time of the world of instability. He's given you a sane mind to think correctly about the world and the events when the rest of the world is going insane. God has put good things in your house. You've got a church who preaches the truth. You've got a pastor who stands for the truth. You've got mothers and fathers who love their children and love their homes and want spiritual things for their children. You didn't put that there. I didn't put that there. Our Father from above put good things in our home. And he says, he says, cities which thou buildest not and wells that you didn't dig. Vines and vineyards that you didn't plant. In other words, you didn't do anything for this. And he says, but, but God's given it all to you. And God wants you to consume it all, to take it all, to receive it all. But just don't forget me. Moses says, then at that moment, at that time, then beware. Lest thou forget. Strong's 07911. It's the word shaka in, in, in Hebrew. Let me give you its meaning to forget. It means to ignore. It's not that God have, you have no remembrance of God. or that, Who's God? I don't, I don't I just have an amnesia. That's not what it's speaking of at all. But it says when you've received plenty and God's given you good things, don't ignore the Lord. It means to be forgotten or to forget but it means to cease to care. Beware lest you cease to care. Apathetic. You know what apathy is. It's there, but it's... Eh. Yeah, I, I, I go to church. I love the Lord. I mean, but it's just... You know, it's just it's there, but it doesn't mean... Does it, what does it mean to you? How do you prioritize it? Where does it fit in your value scale? When you replace the presence of the Lord with entertainment or, or something in your life and you replace that, it's not that you don't value the presence of the Lord, it's that you valued something greater. I don't care if it's a career or a dream or whatever it is, when you place that in front of the Spirit of God in your life in abundance, it just means you've ceased to care. He says, when you come into the land, you're going to find there's houses, lands, cities. You didn't build them. You didn't labor. You didn't sweat. 
You didn't do this. God did this. What is the Holy Ghost? It's a gift that God gives you freely. You didn't do anything for it. You just surrendered and God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to fill you with good things. But beware lest you cease to care or ignore me. When you work for something, when you work for something, you can appreciate it. When you've given your sweat and you've given your blood and you've given your time, man, you protect it and you guard it, you appreciate it, you know what it means to have it because you gained it. You've done it. It'll be precious to you. It means something. So this is the warning from God. When God gives you something and it's a free gift and you didn't earn it, it's given to you. He gives you good things, fills your house and your mind and your spirit. Moses says, because you did nothing to receive it, because you did nothing to receive those spiritual blessings, then beware lest you forget the Lord. This is exactly what happens In Joel's time. The greatest time of prosperity. They forget the Lord completely. So what does God do in response? He sends them a plague. A plague of locusts. I had a video that ought to save time. We won't show it. But if you've ever seen locusts. The swarm go through crops. And and farms. Agricultural fields. And they just daily. they, 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 They hatch. And they start, and, and I forget how many miles, some unbelievable amount of miles that they travel. And they consume everything. They consume the fruit. They consume the stalk. They consume it all the way down to the roots. And there's nothing left. Nothing. They destroy everything. That's why Joel 2, I'll restore to you the years, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the pomworm, my great army which I sent which I sent, I did that. Because your spiritual condition is more important to me than anything in your life. And God sends them a plague. Now, was that plague revenge? No. Was it to punish them? No. Was it to some maniacal way that God was doing something just to get back at them? Oh, my brother, my sister, you you say, Brother Matt, that's silly. It is so important how you view the hand of God of correction in your life. It is so important on how you perceive that to yourself. Because if you look at it as punishment or God's getting back at you or revenge on you or I messed up and God's wiping me out, you will miss the entire purpose. You will miss the heart of God. If you look at it as punishment or he's spewing anger, then you've missed the character of your heavenly father and you've misunderstood your trial. So why does he send it? Is it because he's cruel? No. He does this because the real you is who he's after. Not the you that, that you are identified by as in your job and your vocation. That's good. It's good to have that. 
who other people know you as in the, in the, in the town or at your work or wherever, wherever it's at. That's not the you that God's interested in. The you God's interested in is way beyond those layers of facade. It goes all the way down to your real identity of who you were in the back part of God's mind before you ever breathed your first breath. And God says, I'm trying to get the real you. So he sins. Listen to what Brother Adam says here in the first slide. And I don't, does this control it here, brothers? Does that control it? Okay. Brother Adam says, he says, oh God, I think it's this one. Okay, good. I'll go back. He says, oh God, this is the message leadership, 1965 in December. Let me go, Lord. Don't leave me behind, Jesus. Let me go with you, Father. I don't want to stay here on this earth to watch these tribulations coming on. I don't want to stay here in this insanity. I don't want to stand here when hideous sights, the people losing their mind. We look at man trying to act like beasts and look like beasts and the women trying to look like animals with the paints on their face. Knowing that these things are predicted to happen, that the thing will, they'll go so insane till locusts will raise up with hair like women to haunt the women and teeth like lions and things that you've said, the mental condition of the people will be completely gone. We see it in the making. Yes, we do. Help us. Brother Branham says, restore us to the sane mind of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I so identify with this quote when I read it this morning. And Brother Branham says, God, don't leave me behind. I say, Lord, don't leave me behind. Let me go with you, Jesus. Don't leave me in this insane world. Let me go with you, Lord. Let me just say this to you, my brother, my sister. If you think... COVID is a plague. Go read Revelations chapter 9. You'll see what a real plague is. Because this what's turned the entire world upside down is just a little hiccup. A little virus that's wrecked the whole world. Revelations 9 tells you what a real virus is, a real plague is. The Bible says there's things that are coming upon the earth that the heart, just the sight of them, men would have heart attacks. Don't leave me here, Lord. Don't let me go through to experience that tribulation. Why? Why does God send a tribulation to purge the earth? Because he's preparing it for a new earth. Why does he plague? Why does he send plague? Why does he, uh, at the end of it all, uh, turn the whole the whole atmosphere? As the Bible says, will melt with fervent, will catch fire and melt with fervent heat. Why? Why does he send that pur- what that that tribulation? Brother Branham says he sends it because it's to purge, to purge the world of all the filthiness, to purge the world of all their unbelief, of all their ungodliness. To purge the world, not to punish the world, but to prepare it for the new world and the new people. 
And you say, Brother Matt, why is that important? Because Brother Branham says the reason why you don't go through that tribulation is because you're being purged now. I say, Lord, don't purge me then, purge me now. What is that purge to do? It's to wipe out all ungodliness, all anything unlike you. I I just want to say this morning, how many can say with a hand up and say, Lord, purge me of anything unlike you now, Lord. Let me be purged now so I don't have to be purged then. And why are you purging me, God? Why Why are you purging my life right now to prepare you for a new body? A new life, a new mind, a new soul. Everything will be new, Jesus says. I'll make all things new. Notice what he says here. Now, this was amazing because he warns them. God warns them. And he says, if you don't repent, this is what God was going to do. He was going to sing this sinless plague of locusts. If you could mute that. Joel chapter 2, turn in your Bible very quickly. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Let's just pick it up here. Is there a... I forgot to... I didn't even ask Brother Barry. Is there an evening service? Or no? Okay. Good. That means we have overtime and double overtime today, right? No, I won't. I'll try not to do that. I'll try to, I'll try to get you out of here. But I have something I just want to get to. You with me this morning? Notice Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, also now saith the Lord... Joel 2, verse 12. Turn you even to me with all your heart. This is the, this is the message that Joel has. Not just a message of destruction. Not the message of your lands and your languishing and your fields and locusts are coming. But God now gives them, now that he's got them in that place to where it just seems like everything's ruined. And God begins to anoint Joel with this message. Turn you even to me with all your heart. Have we done that? I asked the Lord in prayer this morning. I said, Lord, if I haven't, I just want to turn to you with all my heart. With everything that's within me. With my body, with my mind, with my soul, with every fiber within me, Lord. I want to turn completely to you. I want to turn with all my heart. He says, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Oh, tears don't mean anything to God. I beg your pardon. Fasting means nothing to God. I beg your pardon. It means something to God. When God sees a heart of contrition, of real repentance, may not be tears for you, may be something else, uh, but God's looking for a heart that is turning completely to Him. And rend, notice verse 13, and rend. That means to rip. It means to tear your heart and not your garments. 
Not your garments. What, what is he saying here? This is what the prophets would do. They would take sackcloth, which was like, uh, I think it was goat skin. And they would take this thing made of goat skin, which was very coarse, very prickly. And they would take it and they would, they would wear it over their entire body. As they were, they were repenting for an entire nation when they seen the nation was in sin. And then they would take that goat skin and wear it. Then they'd take ashes and they'd dump it all over themselves. And they would walk through the city, I forget for how many days, praying out loud, verbally to God, forgive us, forgive our nation for we have sinned. But God's saying, I want to go beyond, I want to go beyond the external work and I want to go to the internal work. I don't want you to tear your garment. I want you to tear your heart. In other words, don't just come to me with outward emotion and tears, and that's fine and that's good, but rend your hearts, not your garments. Let me just say this to you this morning. What we need is less external conformity and more internal transformation. I say what we need is less pressure to conform to an image or a dress code. And we have need more people to say, Lord, change the desire of my heart. Change me internally because I know if you'll do a work on the inside, then you'll fix everything that's on the outside. And turn unto the Lord your God. For no matter what you've ever thought about God, no matter what you've ever thought the Lord was doing something to your life and you've sinned your day of grace away and God's mad at you and God's angry with you and the reason that happened is because you messed up and now God's getting you back. No matter what you've ever thought, let me read to you the word of the Lord. For He is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness. And repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is what God is trying to sow. What's he trying to do? He's trying to sow his word into their heart. Because he knows the word fixes everything. It fixes everything. It fixes everything. It restores everything. You don't need a magical hocus pocus wand waved over you. The word fixes everything. All it needs is a heart that's rended and torn and humility to say, Lord, I want you to empty me of everything unlike you and fill me with your word. Because your word will fix every problem. And God is trying to sow this into their heart. But very sadly, do you know what the reaction to Joel's sermon after he got done preaching. You want to know what the people, their reaction was? Instead of repenting at Joel's message, they just went out and got drunk. Yeah. I don't know how I can say that any plainer. That's what they did. Instead of repenting 
They said, hand me another one. Give me another one. Bottoms up. Keep drinking. Just drink more. You hear the message of warning, the message of uh, to prepare. Let me just say this. People will respond or have two different reactions to coming disaster or warning before judgment. They will either prepare and repent or they will just get drunk or more drunk. Listen to what Brother Brandon says here. I love this. just such a, a powerful message, the sudden secret going away of the church. Brother Branham says, he says, let me go, let me make sure I didn't miss it. Yes, I did. Let me go back there. And on the night just before the great attack, the next morning, there was a great dance or a big party given in Pearl Harbor itself. And no matter how much they tried to say that the Japs were coming, they still would not take the warning. Let's just look on them for a few minutes. There's a little radio bulletin goes out, a little piece in the corner of the paper, about like a healing campaign would be advertised. It's a small place that the Japs were on their road in the waters of the sea. A great fleet was headed that way. Nonsense, says the others. We don't believe in no such stuff as that. What are you trying to scare us about? And then we find getting close to the night, I can see at the home place, Instead of them preparing for to get out of the city, why? The young girls were all putting on their new frocks and so forth. They were just going down to this great big jubilee they were going to have. And also the officers of the army were just busy writing little passes so that the soldiers could all attend this party, big drunken party. And the trucks were roaring and humming, bringing in their best of beer and their wine and stuff. For this party. And all the time, the Japanese fleet on its road. And they fail to hear the warning. Just get drunker. Just get more intoxicated. Just bury yourself more. That's what we do. We just bury more. Oh, we don't, we don't pick up natural... You don't go down to the gas station and pick up a pack of, of uh, you know, Miller Lite. That's not what we do. We just bury and intoxicate ourselves more in our business, more in our career, more in our job, more in our pleasures, more of our entertainment. Just, just bury myself more, intoxicate myself more. I don't want to hear it. I've got to block it out. Brother Benham says all the while they were just blocking it. Oh, don't try to scare us. And they failed to hear the warning. And as the sun began to set, they all gathered in this great tavern of a place, maybe on the side somewhere. The bartender polishing the bar or something said something like this. Say, did you hear the rumor? No, I don't believe I did, said the man he spoke to. Oh, they, they say, you know, something about a Japanese fleet coming this way. Then someone else drops in on the conversation. Young silly girl bounces up there, sticks her foot up on the bar, said, you gloomy-headed warts. Don't you know that we're here for to have a good time and not talk about war? If that isn't just about the way the world is saying today about the coming of the Lord. You old-fashioned fogey back numbers, what makes you dress and act like the way that you do? But we're looking for that secret 
sudden appearing of the Lord. For there's something in the air, a message of the Holy Spirit that tells us the coming is at hand. There's something in the air. Can I just tell you, Hickory Bible Tabernacle, there's something in the air moving across the body of Christ. It's not here, just here. It's not just in some other city. It's globally, there's a spirit. There's something in the air, a message of the Holy Spirit that tells me inside of me that the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's why I'm living the way that I do. That's why I'm preaching the way that I do. Because there's a feeling in the air that we're just about to get out of here. So lay aside every weight. Lay aside every sin. Lay aside everything in your life. And say, Lord, prepare me to meet you on that day. Because there's something in the air. Brother Branham says, then when the big shindig went, went on, and oh, it must have been a horrible thing that night. Brother said that something sometime during the night that took a young lady, beautiful, built young girl, stripped her clothes from her, put her on a little wagon with just one underneath garment on, ran her down the street and so forth, having a big time. And all the time the Japanese was gaining grounds coming right on. And then the next morning when the men of the post of duty, he says the airplane signal watching and so forth had been out all night drunk running around with these women and so forth, was so drowsy and upset the next morning from the big party until they were caught asleep on the job. And I'm afraid that it's going to be likewise at the coming of the Lord. The church is so took up and drunken with the cares of this world till they're going to be asleep at the post of duty at the coming of the Lord. Sadly, most of all of them just get more intoxicated. He preaches again and calls for for repentance again. And then he promises them. You see, here's the heart of God. Throughout all of the plague and all of the loss and all of the ruin that you see, God says, but here's what I want to do. I want to restore unto you everything that you've lost. I want to restore your family. I want to restore your home. I want to restore your life. I want to restore all the years of ruin and waste and decay. But first, you have to repent. He promises that for total repentance, He'll send total restoration. Complete restoration. It's amazing how David, I'm just going to be just a minute here and we'll close. And I will restore, Joel chapter 2 verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. It's amazing, David begins to speak of this in Psalms chapter 1. He says, the righteous shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit with leaves that do not wither. Fruitful, prosperous. Now notice this is for the righteous. And he says, the wicked, the ungodly are not so. But the opposite of that, they become weak and withered, blown about by every wind of doctrine. 
They're like withered trees, diseased, corrupted with every conceivable worm. You know what he's describing? A believer who compromises with the word. A believer who's lukewarm about the things of God. They're like a withered tree, diseased. And every worm and every bug eats away out of every wave of doctrine. He says, but the righteous are like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in their season. And it doesn't matter what wind comes here or wind of doubt or wind of fear or wind of discouragement or wind of unbelief. They're like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. They have fruit. They're prosperous. Their leaf doesn't wither. Joel Joel says their trees are withered. Their joy has dried up. Such a condition. He hath the teeth of a great lion. The vine was destroyed. The harvest was perishing. The blessing and the joy of the Lord were being stripped. The enemy had came in and like a flood, but there was no standard being raised against him. Oh, that's what the Bible says about the ungodly. They're, they're like a, they're like a, a, a wind tossed in the, a tree tossed in the wind. And every, every wind of unbelief and every sound of doubt and every sound. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter what wind comes from the rest of the world. The believer stays planted firmly on his revelation of what he knows about the Word of God. He's not tossed to and fro. It doesn't matter what doctrine or what, what false doctrine comes their way or what doubter uh, is questioning the vindication of the messenger, the messenger. It doesn't matter what happens. That tree withers, but this tree holds its fruit. It doesn't matter what happens to the rest of the world that goes into chaos. God's family stays stable in unstable times. God's family stays solid when the rest of the world is falling apart. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. But Joel says, but this tree, think of it. It's a forest, debarked, clean, bare, blanched, white with disease, languisheth, it's dried up, it's withered, it's wasted, it's desolate, it's broken down, rotten. He's describing the spiritual condition of the Laodicean church. Cold, formal, powerless. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's amazing. Brother Branham comes. I'm going to close here. Brother Branham comes to this message. Palmer worm. Locust cankerworm caterpillar. Brother Branham says, not long ago I was thinking, I was way up in Canada. I was riding one night. I'd been way back out about 40 or 50 miles, 1,000 miles from a hardtop road last fall. I was back there hunting. I was riding out through the moonlight. And I come to where there was a big old burnover. There was a great big bunch of great, big, tall, stately pines. Great, big, tall. Let me find it here on my screen here. And the moon was shining on them. It looked like a graveyard, a spooky looking place. And there come a wind down. Now, Brother Branham comes upon this, this great big burnover there in the night. And he says, I've seen all these great big stately pines just standing straight up. And he said, it almost looked eerie. 
Just, just very, very, very scary looking. He says, then there came a wind coming down and the wind began to hit them and they just go, mood. Just a mournful sound. Imagine. There by yourself at night in the moonlight. You come upon those trees and that wind begins to blow. And those trees, big stately pines, mood. I stood and looked at it a little bit. And I thought of this scripture right here. He's reading Joel 2. I will restore, saith the Lord. Those trees put me in a mind of some of these great, big, fine-spired churches standing up here, but just as dead as a doornail. Even the palmer worms ate all the bark off them and everything else. The fiery trials has blazed all the spirit away from it. And there's nothing left but a big stature, just as dead as can be. All the bark's off, all the limbs are off, all the fruit's off. It's just a great big image of what was. It's a great big image of yesterday. Brother Branham says, all the bark off of it, there's nothing left but a great big stature, just as dead as it can be. And when the rushing mighty wind comes from heaven, the only thing they can do is groan and carry on and say it ain't so, hardly knowing anything that's right. All they can do when the Spirit of God comes is groan and moan. Oh, it ain't right. That was a Thor rocket. There's no vindication. There's no newspaper article of it. I don't have any proof of it. Just a great big stately pine, but dead as a doornail. Brother Branham says, hardly knowing anything. That's right. They say days of miracles is past. You notice what they're saying is no different. It's just a little bit different language today. What they said then was the days of miracles are past. What they're saying today is the days of miracles never happened. Oh, and so Brother Adam says the days of miracles are past. Just every time God sends a revival, signs and wonders begin to come up and fall around the people and things like that. And they say, oh, the days of miracles are past. Do you know why they would say to Brother Branham, the days of miracles are past? The apostolic age is over. Do you know why they say that? Because there's no miracles in their own ministry. So they have no choice Instead of saying, there's nothing in my ministry, but there's miracles. Rather than doing that because of pride, they just say, that's past, that's over, that's why it doesn't, that's why it doesn't happen anymore. He says, the days of miracles pass. Just every time God's in the revival. He says, what the palmer worm left, the caterpillar eaten. What the Methodist left, the Baptist eaten. What the Baptist left, the Presbyterian eaten. What the Presbyterian left the Pentecost eaten, till it's got to a place why you strip the tree of everything it's got. All the power, all the joy, all the good things that God give to His church on the day of Pentecost, they've tore it out. Nothing left but a big church name. 
Sadly, that's a lot like some message churches and message doctrines. What the seven thunders left, the return ministry ain't. What the return ministry left, the perusia ain't. What that left, the, the, the tape only. So just push play has ain't. What is it, friends? It's bugs that try to eat away what God gave to the church. Brother Brennan says you've stripped it of everything and you have nothing left but a big church title, the message. And he says a big church name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here, Brother Brandon, say it on tape. What's the matter? Watch the same thing. You've took the route of the dead tree. What the pomeworm left, the cankerworm eaten, the Baptist took the shouting away from the Methodists and one ate this and one ate that till they stripped the church down till they got them setting just as dead as a doornail. No spirit, no shouting, no joy, no peace, no healing, no nothing. How? What the Methodist left, the Baptist eating, what the Baptist left, the caterpillar eating, or some other church, and this one eats this, this one takes that away, this one takes that away. You haven't got nothing but a big, just a church creed. I could hear Brother Branham in my headphone say, Hallelujah, as he gets excited. And he says, you know that's the truth. That's just the truth. That's the truth. What one left, the other ate, until you ain't got nothing but a big, dead tree. And every time God sends a big rush of glory down, you just sit there and moan and say, I don't believe it. It's psychology. It's, it's this, it's that, it's this. Oh, and, and dead from the roots up, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. It's a sad looking day. When Joel looked at that and saw that, he said, but God said, I will restore, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. He says, if it wasn't in there, I wouldn't know how to preach it. But it's there. I will restore, saith the Lord. I happened to look that night. There was that wind was a blowing through how stiff and starchy and dead it was sitting there moaning and groaning. Didn't have no life to bend with it. Couldn't bend. You know, friends, when you can't bend, you got a problem. And you go to the chiropractor. And that chiropractor puts you on a table and he says, All right, you ready? And he takes his hands and pop. And you hear things pop that haven't popped since you were 10 years old. You know what he's doing? He's trying to loosen you up so that you can move. Oh, sometimes we need the power of the Holy Ghost to come down and give us an adjustment once in a while to say, Lord, if I've gotten stiff and starchy, come down and adjust me. Let me be able to move and to bend with the rhythm of the composer. Brother Brandon says, I happen to look. He says, they had no bend, to no bark on it to make it flexible. It was just their moaning and groaning on account of the wind. Huh? My, Dr. So-and-so and so-and-so, oh my. But I happened to notice down underneath there was some undergrowth coming up. Some little bushes about like that. They had life in them. When that wind began to hit them, they was just twisting and ringing and shouting and having a glorious time. 
Let me tell you, brother, God's going to raise up a generation of people out of all this dead stuff that's going to restore, saith the Lord. God's going to raise up people who believes in signs and wonders. Going to raise up people who's got joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. I just want to say, Lord, I believe it's me right now, God. Let me be that little underbrush that's not stiff and starchy, but I'm moving with the flow of the Holy Ghost. He says, who's got joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when the rushing mighty wind comes, it gives right into it and frolics and dances and glorifies God. Oh, listen to the same wind that was making one moan and groan was giving the other one a big time. I happen to think, well, what's this one doing? And every time that little tree would twist, what would it do? It would pull the roots and loosen up the ground so it could grow deeper and get better and a better hold. Oh, I just thought about this when I read this this morning. The same message that is blinding the eyes of the world, the same message that they're saying is, is uh, the same message that they're complaining about, searching for vindication, and it's making them cold, dead, starchy, and worldly, is driving my roots down into the ground. It's securing the believer. The same message that's making one dry and dead is giving life to the seed of God that will move and be flexible with the wind of the Holy Ghost. I just want to raise my hand and say, Lord, don't let me get old dead, dead and starchy and stiff. Don't never let me settle for religion or a form or some dress code or some rule book of do's and don'ts. Let me have the life of Christ. Living and growing and bubbling down from inside of me. Let me be a living stone. A lively stone. Brother Barron says its roots will just grow deeper and deeper. Oh, how many could just say by an uplifted hand and say, Lord, let me grow deeper. If you've got to unsettle my soil, if you've got to send something in my life to unsettle me, Then unsettle me, Lord. I just want to go deeper. I want to be able to move. I don't want to be a stately pine with a big church name. But I want to have the name of Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, living and breathing through my vessel. Could you stand to your feet this morning with your hands raised and surrender? Say, Lord, that's my desire for my home. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for our church. That's my desire for my worship, Lord. Don't never let me settle for some dead, cold church name. But let me have the living, risen, living, risen Savior moving and speaking and changing. Give me joy. Give me shouting. Give me dancing. This is what Brother Random says here. They've taken the joy. They've taken the shouting. They've taken everything out of the church. But God says, I will restore, saith the Lord. How many could raise a hand to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to restore what you want to restore. Not what I want you to give me back. I can make carnal things and make up things of everything I want in life. You know, sometimes God takes things from you and he does not ever intend to give them back. Because he knew they were no good for you. So I just raise my hand and say, Lord, restore unto me what you know is good for me. Give me back what you intend to give me back, Lord, and leave the rest of it out. I will restore, saith the Lord. Lord Jesus, we bow our heads here in this place, hearing your word, O God. What does it start with? It starts with true 
repentance. It starts with true, not, not a turning, not, not, not taking on more cares and intoxicating ourselves further. Lord, but there's something moving in the air right now. The Spirit of God is moving. That's what your prophet said. I can feel something in the air. And Lord, I just identify today. And I say, Lord, I feel something. I feel it moving. It's moving in the earth right now. Lord, you're just preparing that bride. You're preparing her to take her home, to take her out of this world. Lord, and your spirit's pressing, it's moving. So I just raise my hand and say, move on me, Lord Jesus. Let the water, let the wind of Calvary, let it blow like a tidal wave over my family. Let it blow like a tidal wave over my home and my heart and my mind and my soul. Grant it, Lord, to each person. Grant it to this church. Grant it to their pastor. Grant it to the music, to the deacons from the front to the back, to your whole bride collectively worldwide. May a surge, a fresh surge of the Holy Spirit come and quicken us, Lord Jesus. For how we need it, God. I just raise my hand, Lord, and maybe someone could raise it with me. I just say, Lord, how I need it, Jesus. How I need that fresh anointing oil. How I need that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to sweep over my soul. One time fresh, Lord. How I need that blowing, that wind of the Holy Spirit to blow over my life. May it be daily. Lord, may we let go of everything in the past. May we let go of everything that's holding us down. May we forget free tonight. Free today, Lord God. Free to serve you. Free of the cares of this world. Free of the cares of this life. The complexity of this world and this life. May you free our minds. May you free our spirits. May we not settle, Lord, for anything less than what you've given to the church. Than what you've promised to the church. Let us not settle for a creed, for a dogma, for a doctrine, for a lifestyle, for a name, for an identity, for some Lord organization. Let us not ever settle. Lord, but let us from the roots, from the very roots of our soul, say, I cry for the living water of the living Lord. I cry in a dry and thirsty land. I, my soul thirsteth after thee, O God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul panteth after thee, Lord Jesus. Grant it, Lord. Grant it, Jesus. You're restoring years. That's what you want to do today, Lord. That's what the message was upon my heart. What you spoke to me and my family. Lord, I speak it to this whole church. God says, I will restore all the years of the locust and the pommel worm and the caterpillar and all my great army which I sent among you. With full repentance comes full restoration. And I receive it this morning. Every hand that's up, Lord, see it this morning. Identify it. Say, I receive it, Lord. I receive everything that you're trying to give back to me this morning. Grant it, Jesus, we ask, Lord. Grant it to every young person. Grant it to every mother. Grant it to every father. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Could we raise our hands now? Just forget about everybody around you. Just worship the Lord this morning. Say it like a prayer to the Lord. And renew a right spirit. This is my prayer, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord, create in me 
a pure heart. Create in me a clean heart, Jesus. A clean heart. Oh God. Grant it, Jesus, and renew. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not from me oh but restore to me restore yes Lord unto me all the joy all the joy of thy salvation and renew and renew arise Cast me not away. Sing that again now. Oh, Lord, cast me not away from thy presence. Oh, Lord, take not and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. more time. Cast me not away. Sing it now. Oh, Lord, cast me not away from thy Give myself away. This is my 
desires revealed in So I give myself, I give myself away.
needs to go up. You are not a God of anything we can give. Anything we can give. Oh, by your That's just the way it is. You are God alone. You are God alone. From before time began, oh, you are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. Can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God yes, who's worthy of everything we can give. Anything we can give. You are God. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Oh, you are God alone. Time began, and you were on your throne, and you are God alone. And and you are on your throne. You are God alone. You are God, and you are God alone. From before time you are on your throne you are God alone and right now in the good times and bad you are on your throne you are God alone you're unchangeable you're unchangeable yes you are That's what you are. You're unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone. From before time began, you are all.
You're unchangeable. You believe that? You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. Unstoppable. That's what you are. Oh, yes, Lord. You're unchangeable. Unshakable. Unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone. From before time began, oh, you are on your throne. You are God alone right now. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. clap of praise. Hallelujah. Oh, could we worship him? Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, oh God. Worthy of all my praise, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are unchangeable, unstoppable, unshakable, unmovable. That's what you are, Lord. We worship you with hands raised this morning. Lord, we just lift our voices up to you right now. You're great, Lord, and you're greatly to be praised. For many, Lord, things we could say this morning, we could just give a list of all the things we're thankful for, Lord, all the things that you're doing, all the things that you've done. Lord, we just want to show you that we're grateful this morning. We lift hands to you right now and say, praise you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, God, in this place, Lord, as we dismiss from this place. Lord, may your spirit just go before us, go with us, be around us, Lord, in our vehicles, in our conversation, in our work, at our home. Lord, may you be upon our lips every moment, Lord Jesus. Let us not get so earthbound, Lord, that we get so drunken. Lord, not with wine that the world drinks, Lord, but drunk with the cares of life. Help us, God, to refocus our vision. Help us to refocus, Lord God, all of our priorities. May they be lined up. May they be in order. May they be pleasing, Lord, to you. For that's what we desire, that we live a life that's pleasing to you. In everything that we do, Jesus, we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. We're going to let you go. Be dismissed this morning. Sing one more song. Go ahead, brother. You can sing it. Let's sing it now. Falling in love with Jesus. Could you raise your hands and sing it to the Lord? I'm falling in love with Jesus. Just falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I
Oh 